Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus with producer Sana Marie. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Stan Bell serving you well, pushing more power than a Duracell. I'm hanging out with the double E, Ina Esco, on the Verbally Effective podcast. Hello, it's the Verbally Effective Podcast. I'm Aina Esco, double A. Thank you. This is Code Dwight. Tune in. Hey, it's Meredith Rucker, and I'm Verbally Effective because I inspire people to live authentically, find balance, and walk in purpose to make an impact. Meredith Miller Rucker is a writer and programming expert specializing in leadership development and social and emotional learning for youth, young adults, and emerging leaders. With over a decade of experience in education and media, she generates creative content and innovative programming that makes meaningful connections, inspires personal growth, and promotes achievement, self-discovery, and success. Meredith is the Director of Program Development for Bridges, a Memphis-based nonprofit where she designs and implements leadership curricula and experimental programming that annually services 6,000 youth. Prior to Bridges, she was the Director of First and Second Year Programs at Lemoyne Owen College where she led the expansion of freshman seminar to first year experience and increased the college's retention by 15%. Meredith received her bachelor's in radio and television communications from Tennessee State University and her master's in magazine journalism from New York University. She is an Amazon best-selling contributing author to the HBCU Experience, the Tennessee State University edition, released in April 28 of 2020, and her most recent published work is with Memphis Transformed 901 Heroes, an ongoing series profiling Memphians working for a more clean, green, and sustainable city. Meredith lives in her hometown of Memphis with her husband, Sean, and two sons, Logan, 11, and Lennox, 7. Verbally Effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the Verbally Effective Podcast. I see a lot of you guys out there getting back in them streets uh, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, Recently, the governor of Tennessee, I know he lifted some of those restrictions, but you guys be careful out there. I'm excited today because I have one of my beautiful sorors on the podcast with me. <laughs> she is a writer, a programming expert, the director of program development for Bridges. She's a plant mom. And you know what? She came to our um, 
podcasting one-on-one workshop a couple of years back. Was it oh, like yeah. two years now? It's it awesome has been. See where she is with yeah. the podcast life too. I have Meredith Bucker yeah. on the podcast with me. What's up, Meredith? How are you, Soror? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm super excited and honestly, really, really humbled. <laughs> um at the invitation so thank you so much i'm really excited about it and and i'm doing well and yes it's it's good things good things going on so i'm good a lot of good things now (laughs) i remember uh meeting you a while back it was during a a lamorne on college home Mm -hmm. um i i interviewed your mom with the radio station Uh and you know we've been knowing each other for a while and so much has happened between now and then. So today is all about you, Meredith, and your journey. And I know you just recently received uh, the Memphis Business Journal Top 40 Under 40. I know that's exciting. <laughs> it, it is. It's really exciting. Um, uh, yeah, it's, you know, one of the things that I've thought about for a long time with Memphis, which is something that I appreciate with MBJ and with um, Cynthia Daniels and the work that she does in in honoring um, young professionals is just that, you know, we have so much talent in our city and we have so much talent from our city. Um, and then, you know, we have people who, who aren't from Memphis, but they move here and they dedicate their time and their talents. And so, um, yeah, I just think that, that that's um, something really, really positive um, that we do here. Um, I think it's nice for people. Sometimes, you know, you depending on what kind of career that you're in, um, everything isn't always, you don't always get, we're so used to instant gratification or you don't always get instant feedback. And so, you know, you can work for years and not really know, like, is what I'm doing? Is it making a difference? Is it cool? Like, am I doing the right thing? And so, um, you know, you don't always, you know, I think sometimes people have like a negative um opinion sometimes of of recognition and and being honored for things um and certainly you shouldn't do what you do for recognition but I do think that it's nice for someone to take the time and acknowledge and say hey like we like the work that you're doing and we think it's meaningful and you know we think it's cool and so definitely excited and and honored to be a part of that and shout out to all the other honorees um you know who've been who are being honored and so we have an event that's going to be on may 5th that's at shelby farms park oh, so you guys are actually going to get together and congregate yeah. so right. it's going to be something it's going to be outdoors and it's going to be socially distanced and i think everybody is supposed to bring you know their own chairs and you know whatever they're going to have so i don't know what's going to happen there beyond that but that's that's going to be on may 5th at shelby farms and i think it's from five to or something like that. Well, that's a good thing. That's a really good yeah. thing. Also great that you guys are getting your flowers while you are still here. Yeah. So many, you know, so often people are no longer with us and then that's when yeah. we recognize the work that they do. Mm-hmm. So I think that is great and congratulations. But let's Thank start you. at the beginning, Meredith. <laughs> what part of Memphis are you from? South Memphis. Um, that's where my roots are uh, on both sides of my family. And so um, my mom's roots um, in the Riverside area, uh, my dad's in the Longview Heights area. Um, and so actually for a period of time, my dad lived in, my dad's family lived not far from my mom's family. So both of my parents went to Carver. Um, mm, let's see, 
I primarily was, I was born here, primarily raised here. Um, we spent a brief period in St. Louis. I was very young, I don't remember. Um, and I started elementary school in Nevada, in Reno, um, which was, you know, different. I, you know, our, how, we, how we see and view things today are, are shaped by a lot of our childhood experiences. And back in the early 80s, um, there just were no Black people in Nevada like that. Not I'm in Reno. It was, it, it was to the point that when we were walking down the street, I remember this as a child, like if we saw another Black family, like we would go up and introduce ourselves because that's just oh. how rare um, and few and far in between that you would see um, you know, another black family. And so um, I dealt with a lot of racism in, in school as a child. And so- And you remember that. I remember it, it like it was yesterday. I got called the N word several times. I got spat on. I changed oh, schools. Yeah, I, I changed schools like three times. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's, it's, important to me to be doing the work that I do today at Bridges because you know those kinds of experiences those are real those are real things that happen um and I hate that you know here some odd you know almost 40 years later it's we're still seeing children you know experiencing those same things um but that just means that there's still more work to be done so wow spend some time out there came back and then from then on you know I I was here in Memphis and so um I went to some Montessori schools in Whitehaven and then um I ended up at Harding so I graduated from high school at Harding and Did then you like Harding? um so academically at that time um Harding was great so I I needed a lot of um I was a nerd I still am I needed a lot of um academic rigor and um academically Harding Harding was great um I learned a lot I I still things today I I can attribute to um that education and I didn't appreciate it at the time but as an adult I appreciate the Christian education um I appreciate that that foundation now I didn't really I don't think I thought much about it then, um, but as an adult, you know, there are still things that I recall learning then that I appreciate. Um, socially, um, so, it, <laughs> socially was a little bit different. I was blessed to have a group of, of girlfriends, another group of black girls that, you know, I met in seventh grade when I started Harding. We are still friends, best friends to this day. There's five of us. And so that to me is the biggest blessing that I got. Um, but beyond my, my group, I mean, it was okay. It's, it's, I dealt with a lot of racism at Harding and it's interesting because within our friend group, I think we all kind of had different experiences. And what I have found is that those black students at that time who were you know you I'm trying to say this in the right way if you the more involved you were and the more you were potentially perceived as a quote-unquote threat or taking something else away from somebody else like if you came and you went to school and you pretty much went home like you didn't really have any problems but if you were there you were on student council you were in the choir you were on the track team you were on tennis mm -hmm. team it was an issue and so um 
I had issues because I was that student. I just, I'm like, hey, I'm I'm here. I'm going to get it, whatever I am. I'm going to get all of it. And so I did. I had issues. Um, and the biggest issue I had there, which is one of the biggest, really the biggest regret, I think, of my life. And I don't really talk about much, but I said I was going to write a, a blog about it. Um, I used to play tennis. I was a tennis player and I was actually very, very good. And so um, I played tennis long before I went to Harding. I got to Harding and the first couple of years were good. That third year, we got a different coach and man, she was so racist. Mm. She was so racist. And it's like, I went from being the top seeded player to like, she moved me to the bottom of the team. I was a singles player primarily. She would only let me play doubles. Wow. And it's just, she did everything she could to break me. And at that time, I really didn't have the tools to know how to A, really speak up for myself and B, be at a point where I can be like, well, forget you. If you got a problem with me, I'm still going to do what I need to do. I just, I was in high school. I wanted to have a good time. I wanted to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I, it was depressing me. And so I quit. Like, I quit. Did. What did your parents I, say about that, Meredith? You know, what was going on? What did they say? By that time, my, my parents divorced. So by that time, I think my, my parents maybe had divorced two years prior to that. And so... I was always a kid that internalized things like my parents raised me to be really independent. And I, I honestly think I'm independent to a fault. Like it's, it is still, I'm still learning how to ask for help. Like when I need it. And I think at the time I was just internalizing it until, and just trying to figure it out or like sort through it on my own. And then I think that at some point, my mom kind of noticed she was just like well what's you know I wasn't telling nobody to come to any games I went she was like well what's you know what's going on and I finally told her and she was she was like so upset um but yeah I think I just was internalizing a lot of it and I think by that time I was like man when this we had one last tournament I was like when this tournament is over like I'm I'm done I'm not playing anymore and I I'm embarrassed to say that like I think I was a freshman freshman or sophomore I can't remember I think a freshman and I I hadn't played tennis since what I, I quit they I like it too. I, I, it did it really really did and I like I yeah I hate that I did that because it was a game that I was good at and it was a game that I really enjoyed but it was just like I can't I can't what about now it. though Meredith you could pick up a, a tennis racket and go out there and I've thought about it. I have thought about it. Um, and my youngest, he's he's expressed interest in, in playing tennis. So I might get out there with him and learn all over again. To your old love. You know what? Similar to you, I experienced racism. Um, I was a volleyball player. I was good, too. All state. Mm-hmm. Went to Millington my last year. Ooh, that coach was so racist. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? So I can empathize with you. Yeah. I can and empathize I, I, with you. You know, I, I hate that. And, you know, I think what I would, what I would want to tell like younger people who find themselves in that position um, is even if you feel like that team or that coach or where, you know, that where you are in that moment isn't right, like don't give up the game or don't give up the hobby or don't, if it's piano, if it's tennis, if it's football, if it's art, you know, whatever it is, don't let somebody else take 
your passion away from you, especially if it's something that you're good at, because you never know where that might take you. And so, you know, I think for, and it's, it's hard. It is, it's hard. It's hard for younger people to navigate. It's hard for adults to navigate, but um, I'm really, you know, at this point, really big on, you know, it can, it can be, it can be hard to learn how to speak up for yourself, but at least until you get to that point, don't let somebody take something away from you that's important to you. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why in the, the other part of that, that, you know, finding your voice and, and, and learning those tools that I didn't feel like I necessarily had at that time is like one of the reasons why, you know, working with youth and even in, in, you know, getting my yoga certification in yoga and meditation and mindfulness, that's why those things are so important to me. Like I want younger people to be able to have those tools. So when those challenges come along, like, you know, how to, you know, how to deal with them and you know how to handle them. If I had had different tools, I could have been like, listen, I know this woman hate me and she doesn't think, you know, I'm worth anything, but I think I'm worth something. And I think I deserve to be here. And so, you know, I just think that, um, you know, we have so much that we can give to, to, to our youth, um, that can set them up for, you know, a, a, a better and a happy, positive, you know, adult life. So definitely. Wow. Yeah. Well, look, look, Meredith, you want to go swing a few rounds? You let me know. <laughs> how to swing that racket a little bit but i know i'm not as good as you but girl i hadn't played tennis i hadn't played tennis in so long it's okay all we need (laughs) there are plenty out here okay let's segue a bit into college life how did you decide to go to tennessee state university hbcu baby you know funny story um it's, it was very serendipitous, honestly. Like, I know from my mother, both of my parents are huge advocates of HBUs, but especially my mom. And being that I, you know, been in, in private school and she was just like, I don't care what HBC you go to, pick one. Like, there are hundreds, but you got to go to, you know, an HBCU. Um, and she was very adamant about that. And so my my top three choices at the time were like, Spelman, just because of Spelman, and then Clark, because I was interested in communications. Clark always had a really great communications program. And then FAMU, because there was a part of me that thought about, you know, maybe I'll, you know, go into business like my dad. And FAMU had a really great business program at the time. So those are my top three choices. I ended up applying to a lot of in-state schools, um, like Vanderbilt and UT Chad, and of course, Memphis, and got into Spelman, um, and so that was the plan. The plan was for me to go to Spelman. I had a best friend from home who was going to Spelman and we went down to Spellbound and we had a great time and, you know, I turned in my deposit and all that. And that was the plan. And then, um, I went to, I applied to Tennessee State and I, we went to, I went to visit Tennessee State with another best friend and I kind of, friends from going to the Southern Heritage Classics, you know, that's why TSU was on my radar. And I went and stepped on that campus and it was just like, <laughs> this <ooh>. is. <laughs> it was like, this is different. This is different. This is home. Um, and so I had to call them people back at Spelman and tell them <laughs> I, I changed my mind. I know they're probably like, you change your mind. You, you, you going to not come to Spelman and go to state school. Yeah, that's but that's just, 
it was it was it was just it was just a vibe it's all it always has been um and that was one of the best decisions that i i ever made i i mean i had such an amazing college experience i have so many great friends um and i wrote about that i um i was a contributing author in this book that came out um last a year ago this month um the um, HBCU experience, the Tennessee State University edition. And so I talked about that. I talked about like how I ended up at Tennessee State um, and how it was just been such a magical experience and it continues to be. So that's how I got to TSU, um, had a really great time. You know, I did SGA and um, NAACP and a lot of stuff like that. I pledged there and, you know, it's just, it was just, it was great. I'm getting together with my line sisters in like two weeks. A couple, some of my line sisters, we gonna go and get an Airbnb and just we hadn't, and nobody seen each other in in so long. So you know, yeah, I'm excited about that. Yes. Now I know that you were a radio and television communications major. Why did you decide that, Meredith? You know, in high school, from some of the, I was a. I was a debutante in high school. I was a, a Lynx dev. And I think we had like some videos or something that we had to record for our cotillion. And we had been sitting in this room doing these recordings and it was taking everybody like 15 and 20 takes to do their video. And I was the only person that did mine in one take. Okay. And they were like, oh, you need to try radio and television. And I was like, really? Okay, I'll think about it. And <laughs> so um I did a little research on it and it was a good it was a good fit for me that was a good major for me um what I I ultimately transitioned into journalism because um you know the writing side of it was the draw for me to choose communications as a major um and while I was there I got really involved with the campus newspaper and um writing is something that I've done since I was a child and so that for me kind of led me to figure out okay I think the the writing side is a better fit for me mm -hmm. um and so that's why when I went to grad school I switched to journalism print so yes wow okay so once you graduated from TSU what happened for you Meredith um so <laughs> I think you know being young back then it was just kind of like graduation was approaching and I don't think I had really decided what I wanted to do and I I thought I was pretty sure I wanted to go to grad school but I only applied to NYU in um, Northwestern I was like if I'm going to journalism school I only want to go to to NYU or Northwestern and so I remember everybody being like girl you don't want to apply to some some safe schools I was like well I mean if I don't get in then you know I'll just do something else and so um, I got waitlisted at Northwestern and I got accepted at NYU. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to NYU. And so um, I went there. I had never been to New York before. Let's start there. So that was, yes, a, big that was a shock. interesting. The only reason that it wasn't was because um, I studied abroad at Tennessee State. I spent like four months in Spain. 
And so that was my first exposure to like a pedestrian city where you rode the bus and you took the subway and all that. So that helped me <laughs> with kind of how things move um, in a in a bigger city. And so the culture shock part was like trying to find an apartment. Like who knew that you can just go to like an apartment complex and be like, oh, you have units and let me look. It's a madhouse. It's like, it's like buying a a condo or it's like buying a house it's so competitive and even back then it was so expensive so that part was was a shock and it was it was um it took a lot of effort for me to find a place to live um so I got there I started graduate school and I think the year that I started in right when I started around the time it might have been the fourth or fifth anniversary of 9-11 Oh, wow. And so that was like one of my first reporting things in, in, in J school it was like, oh, go to ground zero and come up with a story. And I was like, oh, mm. ground zero. Okay. Wow. Um, but it was really interesting. NYU was, was great. Um, about halfway through my time um, in, in school or maybe, maybe second semester, I got an internship at um, Cosmo Girl. And I had applied, I had applied for a few, for a few different things. At that time, I was trying to figure out like, what's my niche going to be? So at the time I was really interested in like music journalism. I had grown up reading Vibe and XXL and all that. And um, so I thought that was the route that I wanted to go. So I had applied for internship in Vibe and Cosmo Girl, because I was also interested, still interested in youth um, and a few other places. And I interviewed with I got an interview with Vibe and with Cosmo Girl, and they ended up at Cosmo Girl giving, at that time, it was like a, it was a web intern position. They ended up giving that to somebody else, and then the, the, they offered me the Vibe internship, but it was so, like, that, that whole culture operates so different. I mean, you know, like, it's just, it's a different kind of thing. I think they called me at, like, 11 p.m., for the interview and I was like 11 p.m like that's just you know that's a little, that's a little, <laughs> a little different you know that's a little different but they were really you know they were super nice so I did my phone interview I went in I did the interview they offered me the internship um but then I got a call back from Cosmo Girl and they were like hey our senior editor is looking for an intern we know you didn't get the other one but our senior editor is looking for an intern um she's a woman of color and she's particularly interested in having interns of color okay are you and she was the senior editor at that time and she was like are you interested in intern i was like yes <laughs> you know okay. and so that's how i ended up at cosmo girl and i was working for kirna mayo um and so she kind of became like my mentor and she's the Kirna's the founder of honey magazine so she and Joycelyn Dingle founded honey magazine she used to you know she came up through the ranks at XXL um as an editor so she's the, I mean she's I can't rattle off her resume she's just amazing but um she ended up being my my mentor and so when a position became available at Cosmo she was like, you really need to go for it. And I was like, man, I hadn't been here that long. I'm still in journalism school. Like, you know, I'm just a girl from Tennessee. I don't know. And she was like, no, go for it. And I went for it and, and I got it. And so I, I appreciate her so much still to this day. And it's really a testament too of how representation really does matter. Like, think about that. Like, 
I, I applied for this interview for this position. I didn't get it, but I, I did well enough to where somebody mentioned my name and because there was a black woman there on staff who knows how important it is to, knows how hard it is to get in the door and knows how important it is to give other, you know, young black people opportunity. Like she was like, oh, is she a young black girl? Like I, I want my interns, you know, to be interns of color. And so that that enabled me to get get that opportunity that you know that launched my career really in New York and so mm -hmm. it's just it's so important and I you know as much as we can do that um you know I I I applaud people who who can offer opportunities to to people coming behind them because that's what it's all about and it's it's a room it's enough room at the table for everybody Everybody has their own talents and things to bring. And so um, I love her and I appreciate her for that. I haven't seen her in so long. She's got two boys just like me too. And so her boys are are so much older now. But when I started, um, they were the age, they were a little bit younger than my sons are now. So shout out to Kieran and Mayo. Wow. You know what, Meredith, um, with you going to Cosmo, girl, um, it sounds like you had a pleasant experience. Uh, did you face any adversity in that role? um yeah i did so for the most part it was a really great experience so when i got hired i was working for ann choquette who at the time was the executive editor um we had a great working experience um she's a new york native she went to nyu as well um but she about after i had been there for about a year she interviewed and was um selected to be the editor-in-chief of 17. So I was her assistant. She asked me, she said, hey, do you want to come to 17 with me? I would love to have you. Now, at that time, and she was honest and straight up, and, and I shout out to Ann Shoket. I love Ann. Ann was honest, and she was straight up with me, and she was like, now, I know you're doing a lot of writing right now, which I was, but she was like, me coming into the door being new, I'm really going to need you to focus on more assistant work. Like, is that okay with you? And at the time, I was like, hmm. I was doing well where I was. Like, I was writing. I had my own column. I had an environmental column um, that, you know, that was the magazine's first monthly column. It was an environmental column. Um, and so I, you know, I don't remember how young I was, but I might have been like 23 or 24, something like that. I was like, I mean, I appreciate it. And, you know, I thank you so much. But I decided to stay where I was. And so, and, and at this time, Kierna had moved on. She She was no longer still there. And so, um, I decided to stay where I was and my new boss and, and, you know, she had been really great about me because I was still in school. I was still a full-time journalism student and that new lady that I worked with, um, and I had, mind you, I was an intern there. I beat out like hundreds of people to get that job. I had never had any issues. My work was good. I had a good relationship with my boss and everybody there. After being a week with this other woman and she was there and I, I didn't I didn't know that I had an issue with her either but I had only been working for her for a week mm -hmm. and I got a call from HR and I got I got called into HR and HR said hey um we just got a call from your boss and we wanted to talk to you about some issues that she's been having with your work now mind you I'm like <laughs> I'm like what do you what's what's happening like what is going on because I had I, again like I told you like I had never had any complaints about my work my work was good like I 
I had never had any issues. And then after being with a new boss for a week, you know, I was down in HR. She hadn't said anything to me, you know, and it was very, it was extremely upsetting. And so I ended up talking to her. She was like, yeah, I just don't think you're doing as good as, you know, you should be. And I was, I remember thinking in my head, like, you know me and I've been here all this time. And I've never had an issue with you. Why are you making it an issue now? And she was like, and also you're not going to be able to have your time in the afternoon to go to school. So you, you have to decide if you're going to stop school. Girl, and work I, here. And I said, <laughs> I'll never forget it. And I was just like, I remember sitting there in her office and thinking in my head, okay, I see what's happening. Like you want me to leave. Like, <laughs> You, you want to hire your own. You, you don't, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's, you know, it just is what it is. And I, I remember going back to HR because by this point, you know, I was a little bit more sure of myself and I was like, okay, I'm going to speak up. I was like, this is not right. <laughs> I was, and even as a young person, then I was like, she never said anything to me. I'm like, how, I don't think I should have been called into HR, particularly if she hasn't addressed it with me personally, giving me right. a chance to fix it. I'm like, all of a sudden I'm in, the, in HR. I said, I think this, I don't think this is professional. I think it's personal. And that HR woman was like, oh no, not her. She's really nice and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, okay. Okay, so y'all. It seemed like HR had her back, not the employee. Completely. completely. And I remember calling, calling my parents and telling them, I was like, hey, I think mm-hmm. I'm about to quit my job because, um, you know, I don't want to be here and you're constantly trying to make things hard for me. I want to leave on a good note. I know I've done good work. I don't want it to turn into something else. Um, I don't want you to try to change my narrative. And so, and then I'm not quitting school. Because right. Anne, you know, she had her, her master's. And this woman, I don't even think she had an advanced degree. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to stop going to school to, to sit around here for you to, you know, give me problems and give me issues because you don't even want me to be here. And so... I was real sad that that hurt me because I, I I was the first person in my J school class to get an an on staff journalism position. I was the first person in my class to get hired. It was a really huge deal, mm-hmm. and it I was really really sad to to leave that job. But I left well, you it. You put your two week fan. You you. I did. I did. They try to counter. Um, they did not, but Anne, she, when she found out what happened, she did call me back and she said, I heard what happened. Like the, the offer still stands. If you want to come to 17, you can still come. Mm-hmm. And I just, I turned it, I turned it down. I was like, I pre-, and I appreciate her for that. But I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on school. I'm going to finish school and um, something else will come. And so, um, but I kept in touch with her and we, you know, um, we kind of keep in touch now a little bit here and there on Instagram, but, um, I went and I finished my, my degree. And in the meantime, I was just working at a, there was a boutique, like a few blocks from my apartment. So I got me a little job and I finished school. And so I ended up getting hired at Soap Opera Weekly, um, which was just, it was a very, so it wasn't, it it was a different publishing company. So at the time in, in New York, like Hearst and Condé Nast were the two biggest, um, you know, companies and Cosmo Girls at Hearst. So this was a smaller um, 
publication company. And it was just a, it was a completely different vibe. You know, Hearst was real like Devil Wears Prada-ish. This place was a lot more laid back mm-hmm. um, and just a, just a completely different vibe. But it was a really cool job. Like I got, I got, I, my show was Guiding Light and I, I watched. I love the Guiding Light when I used to watch it back then. Look, when your yeah. mama made you watch it. <laughs> yeah. So I got to, you know, I, that was my job, keeping up with the show. And you know, interviewing the the actors on the show and and writing about it. so that was cool. And I I grew up watching like a lot of young people grew up watching soap operas with my grandparents, at least in the South. And so you know, that works to my advantage there. And then because it was a small company and I had come from Cosmo Girl, um, that company was launching a teen magazine, and so I got the opportunity to to launch that magazine with them that actually did really well pixie magazine at the time so wow a lot of those magazines are like defunct now because it's all about digital and you know digital has so you've seen the entire landscape of digital transform in your writing career that's amazing Mm -hmm. now let me ask you this Meredith what is the biggest lesson that you learned while living in New York Ooh. My, 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 the biggest lesson that I learned while living in New York, um, I think maybe building relationships, um, I'm big on relationship building and in a genuine way. I know coming up, everybody, you know, used to talk a lot in, in college and underground network, 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 and networking, it just. I don't know, something about it just never really, I know it's important, but it just never really quite felt like natural to me. I'm naturally an introvert and people are surprised to hear me say that, but I really am. I'm actually incredibly shy. Um, And so I'm not the kind of person that's going to be at an event and walk up and introduce myself to somebody. I don't know that I've ever done in my life. Like usually, you know, some, it just kind of happens and I, you know, I can have a conversation. I enjoy talking, but I'm just not, that I'm not the aggressive or like assertive, you know, um, networking kind of person, but I do believe in building relationships. And I believe in when you have the opportunity to spend time with someone or get to know them, like get to know people, get to know what's important to them, get to know what they like, you know, um, be genuine. Um, and, and I think that that goes a long way. And so it's like this concept of less about reaching out to or trying to get to know people because you need something and more about doing it because just you know you're you're interested in that person as a human and you're interested in what you might have in common and you genuinely want to know like what are your thoughts or you know what are your hobbies or you know you just get to know people like take some time to get to know people um build relationships I think that's important personally I think it's important professionally um and so that's something that I think that I learned in New York and in building and then maintaining them, right? So you got to take a little work sometimes. Like sometimes it takes, you know, you having to think about, you know, reach out to people, check on people, see how they're doing, you know, <laughs> like don't, I hate when people only call me when they want something and there's, and I, and I'm not even, you know, I'm not even, I say that very like base level because it's not like I have like a whole lot. Like I'm not famous. I don't have like a a ton of resources. So it's not like people, but there are still some people that is like, 
I don't hear from you unless like you you want me to put a word in or something for you or not. But like whereas like those people who I have natural relationships with, like I'm I'm keeping my ear open. I'm I'm mentioning their name when they're not around just because like we have a relationship and like I want you to win and so and I want you to have opportunity and and I want that because there are people that you know I that I have relationships with and so I think that genuine relationships is is especially in a place in in New York and working in corporate coming corporate is is a different beast yeah and yeah. so um you know it, it can be hard to navigate but I, I I think building relationships are really important Yes, ma'am. Now let's fast forward to today. A lot going on today with you, with the world, this mm -hmm. pandemic. I mean, we are all adjusting right now. Let's talk about your work over here at Bridges as a director of program development. Tell me about your role. What exactly do you do in this particular role? So I am... <clears throat> So my my area program development um, includes our training and it also includes um, our evaluation team. And so my job is to um, come up with programming for our youth at all three of our levels. And so we have a connect level, which is where we are providing programming for schools or for other nonprofits. And so we're going out into the community or, um, you know, we have people who come into the center who have requested, like, you know, we need, we would like for an experience on, um, you know, on team building, or we would like something on, you know, body positivity. And so they have requests or specific needs. And so we're tailoring programming to those specific needs that they have. That's our uh, shortest touch program with the highest volume of students. So we serve the most students there, but it's not an, it's not an, a continual program is usually like a one or two touch um, thing that we do. So then our, our middle level collaborate is what is what most people know. So those are, um, that's our year long program. And that's, that starts off with our summer conferences. Mm -hmm. And so um, we have our summer conferences, um, which because of the pandemic last year, we had to switch to virtual. So in that way, it's like creating the, the content for the summer conferences and the games and the activities and everything that we do. And then also all the programming that happens throughout the year. So part of that is creating our own in-house programming. Part of that is connecting students with other opportunities, such as maybe Hattie Lou might be doing a speaker series that um, bridge builders can, you know, attend for to get their bridge builder credits um, or, you know, whatever else is going on in the community. And then the third level is the change level. That is our cohort-based level. And so we'll have, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 bridge builders who have come through um, the collaborate summer conferences and who want to commit to work on, um, work in a cohort um, for a year, um, you know, on, a, on an issue or, or social issue that they feel passionate about and that they think is important and that they want to advance justice in that area. And so um, my job is to make sure that we have programming for all of those things. Um, now the change level is more youth is, is youth led. And so their work is, is, you know, they're coming up with their work and, and they're doing the work and they're on the ground level and they're doing the planning. And in that sense, my team and I, we just, you know, if, if they need assistance or if they, you know, need feedback from us um, and helping them think, you know, of more higher level things, that's how we interact with, with that cohort. 
Um, and so my job is to make sure that, you know, we have programming for all those things and that we are, we have um, summer team members who facilitate our summer conference. And then we also have year long AmeriCorps staff members who facilitate all of our um, year long programming and our connect programming. And so um, our team makes sure that um, those people, that they're trained in, in experience or learning and they're trained and know how to work with our students and then know how to work with, you know, administration and students when they're out in the community. And then we also um, do the evaluating of our programs to make sure that we're doing what we say we do and that we're, you know, implementing our feedback back into the programming. So we're making changes and, you know, constantly trying to improve. And so gotcha. that's what I do. I'm a Bridge Builders alum. So I came through the program like 21 years ago. And, it's, and, and you know it's what, like you guys crazy. are like, like real deal bridge builders out here in the M. I met so many verbally effective podcast guests that you know have that connection with bridge yeah. builders. You guys remember everything from bridge builders, you know, yeah. a big alum. And yeah. in your particular role, um, you know, I know you spent some time at my alma mater Lamorne Online College as well. Yeah. And now you're in this particular role and focusing on leadership qualities, right? So yeah. You know, with, with the kids, uh, you know, from this particular generation going on now, what do you see as some of the biggest, I guess, pros and cons with their ability to be leaders from, from, from your work that you do? What have you been seeing, Meredith? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think that the youth, today i think that they are extremely sharp um i think that they're i think that they're a lot more and it's 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 interesting because i have to be specific and like so gen z mm-hmm. because they're they're very very different from like the the millennials and because mm-hmm. i'm i'm technically you know i'm technically a millennial but just just barely and so it's Gen Z, which is primarily when we're talking about youth right now, is 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 Gen Z. They're very um, they're very astute. They're very capable. They're really sharp. Um, they're they know more of what they want, I think, than than we did. Um, and so that's impressive to me. I'm impressed by that. Um, I think. And so I think that as far as leadership, um, you know, knowing what you want and, and, and being very, um, you know, they don't, they don't, they're not going to like just throw throw around a bunch of things or not really know, like you can't come to someone in Gen Z and say, uh, you know, the sky is red. They're going to say, oh, is it? And they're going <laughs> to pull out Google and say, no, actually the sky is not red. Sky. You know, so they're, you know, they're going to do their research. They're, you know, they don't just rest on they challenge they and I they challenge and I and they they push back but not in not in my opinion in a disrespectful way um they kind of remind me of um of um I guess Gen X because Gen X did a lot of you know Gen X asked a lot of questions did a lot of pushback and I I you know it's just that's just the way their minds work and so I I think those are all positives particularly um in talking about leadership um as far as um on the other side of things like potential for growth 
Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know we're in the digital age and i think that that the that digital is great and i think that um <clears throat> there's a lot of of positives from from digital um but i i i also think that digital has hindered how um youth communicate yeah and so at the end of the day like one thing that i say all the time and i and i don't mean this in a in a in a negative way or like an adultist way but one thing I, I find myself saying a lot I'm like you know the world works on email like you have to email is important and how you communicate in email is not how you communicate in a text message or it's not how you would communicate on a on an Instagram post and so I think we can be very lax in that and I think that sometimes we try to walk this fine line between being helpful and supportive and also, you know, holding high standards. And so, you know, you, we have to give our youth the tools to, to communicate effectively, um, verbally, um, you know, you have to be able to write, you have to be able to, you know, express yourself in oral and written communication, because that's just the way the world works. And people will assume things of you if you if you don't know how to communicate well and so I think I think the digital age has while it's provided a really creative outlet and done some really great things I think it's hindered um the way that that youth communicate and so I I, I think that's an area for growth of growth for sure and we've tried to address some of that too like we've we we've had some communications training and and you know to try to help with that and then try to and 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 you know, you, you don't, you can't ignore that, you know, we are in the phase that we're in. So it's kind of like, you have to try to show how you can use those things to your advantage, but still also have some of those, those skills that are evergreen and that, you know, we, we all have to use at all times. So. Definitely. I understand what you're saying. Uh, like with my teenager, my 15 year old Dallas, they stay on the phone. That's how they communicate on the phone. They don't want to pick that phone up and call. Right. Mm -hmm. And I often wonder about their social skills because, mm -hmm. you know, you guys are on that phone all the time. And when you get in person with someone, are you going to know how to deal with yeah. the information delivered to you? For mm -hmm. example, for example, he plays AAU basketball. Mm -hmm. And you know, a, a coach can be on your ass, right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you need it in a game. Mm -hmm. Try to pick it up, right? Pick up the momentum, lift your spirits, but he going to give you some constructive criticism at the same time, right? They yeah. fall apart when they get constructive criticism. <laughs> I'm talking about, uh, I'm like, Dallas, I understood what the coach said. You didn't hear what I heard, but they take it so personal. Yeah. And I think it has to do with this digital age. I really do. Like, it's weird. It's different. It's different. Yeah, and I, you know, we don't work with college age students at Bridges. We're high school and middle school. Um, but yeah, I, I saw a lot of that at working at, at Lemoyne too. It's, um, and not with all students, but I think, again, it's like, it's very hard sometimes for, for people to find a balance between 
you know, helping and wanting to be supportive and also challenging. Um, and so when you get to, so you take a, a, a place like Lemoyne that's open access and you know that a lot of the students coming in just simply have not had access to a certain kind of education or maybe have not had, you know, they may be first generation college students or, you know, they're, they're coming with their own set of challenges. And so for that reason, like you, you want to do what you can to make up for those challenges because you want to feel like you, you're giving them a fair shot or trying to put them on as equal footing as possible. But if you're not careful and you, you do, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's like, it's like the, the, you know, giving a man a fish versus teaching him the fish. Yeah. It's kind of, it's that kind of thing. It's like, you, you want to help, but like you're, if you're, you know, it's, there's something to be said for earning things. Um, and that doesn't mean that you make things difficult for people. It means that you teach them that um, there's no substitute for hard work. And, you know, and, and, that, and that doesn't mean that, you know, that's not to say that, you know, everybody can, can, can get what they need just by working hard. We know that's not true. We know that, you know, particularly if you're a minority and, you know, institutional racism and disenfranchisement and so many things have contributed to, you know, our not being on equal footing. But at which point that someone is giving you opportunity, there's something to be said for, for honoring that and, and honoring yourself and putting, you know, putting effort into the work that you do. And it doesn't matter what kind of work it is. It's, if it's picking up leaves, you pick up leaves with, with honor. If it's an English class, you handle your, your English homework with honor. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. And I think that if we aren't giving, and not just youth, even adults, if we aren't giving people the opportunity to, to know what that feels like, to know what it feels like to have a challenge before you. And that's what a lot of bridges is too. Yeah. It's something is challenging before you and you, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to hand you the answer at Bridges. I'm going to make you figure it out. That's part of the experiential learning process. And so that makes a difference. But if you come up in an environment where you're getting more, you're not having the opportunity to work through those things and work for those things, then, then you get to a point where you think it's owed to you. And then that, that creates, you know, a whole different issue. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, college, high school to college. It's a, it's a diff, it's an interesting time. It's a transitional time. Um, and I, I have had to, you know, I had, what makes me happy is like, I, I see when I see some of my former students at Lemoyne and like, they're doing so well. Like I just saw that one who was in one of the STEM grants I worked on. She's about to go to, um, dental school awesome. and then you know I, I just see when I see them you know doing great things like that's what makes me feel good um and that's what it's all about but yeah it it, it has its challenges for sure yeah absolutely <laughs> definitely definitely now you know what um you're very busy you're very active on social media as well I follow you on Instagram um you know not only are you very involved in your career? You're a mom, you have two boys, you have a husband, you um, are a plant mom, you're out there in a garden, uh, getting them plants together, giving us tips. 
Um, also involved in yoga, you are a new yoga instructor, um, received your certification. How do you balance it all, Meredith? Um, you know, that's a good question. And I think my, my short answer is, um, like I control my time. Like I try not to let other people control my time time is just something it's just an asset that we can't get back and so I use my time I'm and I'm not I'm not even the best at time management like I could be better at time management but I I do use my time on things that I want to do um and that I think are important and so um I don't let a whole lot of people monopolize my time um in you know in with you know, oh, you got to come to this or do this or do that. And I'm like, well, no, I mean, it's okay if I don't, I can, you can say no. So you know your how family, to know. Yeah, your, your family is not going to hate you if you don't come to your cousin's, sister's, brother's, oldest son's birthday party. Like, it's fine. <laughs> you don't have to go to everything and be all places all the time. Like, sometimes you have to say no. And saying no to something allows you to say some to say yes to something that is in line with with a vision that you have for yourself. So I think that's important. I think we allow, especially women, especially black women, mm-hmm. we allow ourselves to get pulled in too many different directions. And sometimes, you know, you have to stop and say, is this is doing this going to put me any closer to building a relationship that's important to me or a goal that I've outlined for myself or something. And you know, if it's not, then it's okay. Like sometimes it's just okay to skip something. It's okay to say no. Um, and then like, there are some things that you, particularly if it's something that's going to take up a significant amount of time, like this, this yoga certification that I just got, that took a lot of time. And so there are things that going into it I had to to be like okay well I'm not going to be able to hang out or have free time on these weekends I'm not going to be able to you know I because my focus is going to be on on what I'm trying to accomplish right now um and so that has a lot to do with it then also having support um you know my my parents and you know my husband they're very supportive even my kids are really supportive like my kids had to like, you know, give up their mommy for, you know, for some time while I was trying to get my certification, but having, I don't do it on my own, having a support system helps. Um, and I just want to say to like people who like my husband and I, we, we'll be married 10 years in September. Um, it's a long time, but it's pretty good for like, you know, it's pretty good for our age. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> but I do want to say that like, a lot of times like I get messages from people and they're like oh my gosh like you and your family and you and your husband like y'all are so cool and blah 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 and I try to be and I appreciate that but I try to like it I try to be honest as much as I can and let people know like it's you work. know yes <laughs> that is true like don't let don't and I don't and I don't and I'm not one of those people that think that when people are online and what they post they're being fake I don't believe that like people are just so miserable like some people just happy and it's fine like everybody is not faking some people do and I get it but like everybody is not you know we just it's just the highlights you you, you mad you're not gonna post like oh I'm mad today you know like it's just you know but so but I it's it's important for people to know especially 
you know, people who are, are in relationships or maybe young in their relationships or in their marriages, like, yes, it's, it can be a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing, but it also takes a lot of work. And I don't know the amount of things that I'm able to accomplish right now. Everything has its season. Like five years ago, eight years ago in my marriage, I couldn't be doing what I was doing now just because just, we just weren't at that place yet where, you know, my husband would be like, oh, you got to spend how many hours, you know, away from the house to get some yoga certification? He would have, you know, eight years ago, he would have been like, no, like, no. I I'm not down with that. But like, you know, it's, so we've had to grow into that. Like we've, it, and it takes time. And so it's, I, I'm, and I'm saying that to be honest, because if there's anybody out there that's like you, because you asked me like, how am I able to balance? And a big part of my being able to do that is because I have a support system. And so I don't want people to think that like, oh, like you just, girl, you just got it all together. And you Balance is important to me. And it is something that I'm intentional about. So I say, I do say be intentional, but I also want to make sure that people know it's because I have a support system. And if you feel like you don't have a support system or you're not there yet, it doesn't mean that it can't happen because I don't think I could do what I'm doing now you know, earlier on in my marriage. We just weren't there yet. We understand each other better now. He has a better idea. I've been able to better communicate. He has a better idea of my vision for myself and why it's important and why his supporting me and doing that is good for our family. I have a better vision of, of his personal goals and what he wants and why it's important for me to support. Because there's some things that he, my husband wants to, has wanted to do too. And I haven't always been supportive, but we've had to grow into that space. My husband is more of a risk taker. I'm not a risk taker. And I'm especially not a financial risk taker. It scares me. But like there's things that he he's into real estate and there's things that in the past, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that because it's scary to me. But like we've had to grow into learning how to support each other. So that's how I'm able to do a lot of the things that I do. So I just encourage people out there, like if you feel like, there are things you want to do and maybe you're not in that place yet like keep keep going like you'll get there it just takes a little intention but you'll yes. get there i feel you i feel you and it does take time with a marriage time mm -hmm. learning each other you know grow, growing as a family figuring yeah. out what you want to do so um, I applaud you guys. 10 years is a big number. It is a definitely a big number. And I just want to thank you, Meredith, for being my guest today on the Verbally Effective Podcast. We have learned so much about your <laughs> amazing journey, making moves. Once again, congratulations on the Memphis Business Journal, top 40, under 40. I thank hope you, you enjoy. So Look, I hope you enjoy the outing that they're going to give you guys uh, <laughs> coming up very soon. Now, how can everyone follow you on social media? and get in touch with you um so you can you can follow me i have a, a couple different sites um you can follow me my personal um instagram is m dot it's m dot m dot m dot so m d o t m d o t m d o t um my my website is my first name last name dot com so meredith rucker dot com um m e r i d i t h r-u-c-k-e-r.com and then the instagram for my website is the same thing it's my first name last name um on instagram and yeah so you know if you're into plants then you know i have a plant page on ig it's here she grows again so yeah um, you know 
that's where all my my plant babies and and stuff is so yeah check her out verbally effective audience she gives great tips walks you through everything y'all know i'm a plant mom too so make sure you check out masora meredith rucker on the gram and thank you so much meredith um you making moves out here just continue (sighs) to work you know, continue that balance. It's amazing that you have a wonderful support system because that does matter. That definitely matters. I understand. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I got work. There's work in the future with, with me and you and Suna and I, and I, that podcast, um, workshop that y'all did was really really excellent i tell people about it all the time and I, I i have something that i'm that i want to do i just i gotta i gotta get to the right time but i'm definitely going to be reaching out to y'all let me know let me know, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much my guest today on a verbally effective podcast my score merited rucker thank you lady thank you